Who's in the Christmas spirit? Yeah? How many of you have decorated your interior of your home? How about the exterior? How many of you have a list of all the fun things that you're going to do to celebrate this Christmas season? Yay! Yay! I love Christmas. I love this Christmas time. And it's kind of nice today to have a little snow and get us in the mood for Christmas. Yesterday I was able to go with some friends and to an Austrian Christmas market. Have you guys ever heard of it? <laughs> well, it just brought back so many beautiful memories for me personally because I lived in Austria for five years of my young adulthood and I taught at an international Christian school there. And one of my favorite times was Christmas when I got to walk down in the city and in the imperial city and the whole rows of lined cobblestone filled with Christmas decorations. It's just gorgeous. They bring these huge chandeliers out and, and the light starts to shine in the darkness. And I just love this time of Christmas anticipation. And I love all that goes into it too. I have a giant family and I love to be with them for Christmas and I love to spend time with them. But have you ever had a Christmas that didn't turn out the way you expected it? Mine happened last year. I had all these plans to go to be with my big, big family in Michigan. And of course, what happened? Snow and weather. <laughs> the planes were grounded, the airports were closed, and I couldn't get home for the holidays. Right? Man, this Christmas spirit and, and some of the hopes that we put into Christmas, this Christmas hope, is for a lot of things. For the feelings of it to be a certain way. For family to be just right. For us to end the year with a beautiful bow on top. But I wonder if what has been marketed to us through Hallmark movies and through this this desire that we have is actually not Christmas hope at all. It's Christmas optimism. An optimism that we think that things are going to be just beautifully put together. And I think that our, especially American society, loves to play into this Christmas optimism that things are going to go just the right way. But when we place our hope in Christmas optimism, we all, all, almost always feel a sense of disappointment. I tend to be someone that has pretty high expectations of things. When I go see a show, I'm expecting it to be really great. When I go to an event, I want things to be just right, and I'm looking for those details. <laughs> and so it's easy for me to get to a place where I'm disappointed. And disappointment actually is my most hated emotion. Anybody else out there? I hate disappointment. And often Christmas brings this type of emotion if we put the wrong expectations into it. And maybe some of you out there are not actually excited for Christmas because you're expecting to disappoint already. You're expecting that you're not going to have a beautiful relationship with your husband come Christmas morning. <laughs> you're not going to have those kids home for the holidays or there's... There's things that aren't going right, right now. 
And so we need a hope that is beyond Christmas optimism. We need a hope that doesn't disappoint. And that's why we're here today, to celebrate hope and to remember what Christian hope is all about. Because it's Christian hope that doesn't disappoint. Here we are in this Advent season, and the very first candle that we lit was the candle of hope. Here in the church, we are setting the very beginning of the calendar. Did anyone notice that this is the very beginning of the church calendar? And we have dedicated the beginning to look to the end. And the beautiful thing, I love Advent season because, and I love especially celebrating hope at the beginning. Because we have to remember where we're going. The trajectory in which is in front of us. This time of hope tells us that we're not at, at that end, we're actually in the in-between. And so that's why we're here to talk about Advent hope. And today, my plan is we need to first define what Christian hope is, in order that we are anchored in the right kind of hope, not just Christmas optimism. And then second, I would love for us to dive into an Old Testament prophecy and I'd love for that to become the invitation for us to hope, as it was for him when he received that prophetic word. And finally, I would love to have us just give you some practical ways to engage and anchor ourselves in hope this holiday season. So we're going to begin by trying to define Advent hope. Advent is the arrival of a noble person, thing, or event. We're looking ahead. And we are in that in-between. Just as the Old Testament followers of Yahweh were waiting for his, the hope and the arrival of the Messiah for the first time. We now sit in a space in church history where we are waiting for Jesus' second coming. We are waiting for the second person of the Trinity to come back to us. We are waiting for him to to bring restoration, to bring redemption, to bring deliverance. That's the same thing that the Jews in the Old Testament were looking forward to when they thought Jesus was first going to come. They wanted him to, to bring restoration. They wanted to him to bring governmental peace. And they wanted him to, to come and make the world right again. And and when he first came, we know that he, instead of making the world totally globally right, he came to say that death and sin and evil and despair don't have the last word, <laughs> right? And so that's why looking forward to Christmas, we say, yeah, Jesus, you did it once. You came, second person of the Trinity came to us saying that death and evil did not have the final say, and now we stand in human history waiting for him to do it again. We want him to come and return and say no, not just does the enemy doesn't have the sting, right? Death doesn't have its sting. The evil doesn't have its victory, but that he will actually reestablish a new heaven and a new earth, and he will be the king. And heaven and earth will be 
will be made one. They will, they will function without this, this barrier between them. And that's what we look forward to in the Advent. And that helps us raise our hope. Hope is this feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. There are a couple words in the Hebrew language that are the word for hope. They actually use a verb. It's not a noun for them. In the Old Testament, yakal was to wait for. And so when you see that word hope, it may not actually be a noun. They're using it as a verb. And the to wait for, because it is to come. This anticipation, these things that are yet not yet here. Kava is another word that means to wait. And, they, and the Hebrew language uses this word as well. And this one is really fascinating to me personally. Because kav is actually in its root. And kav is a noun. It means toward. And so when we hope, when we wait, we are connected to something that's going to happen by a cord, almost a, t- a tension. Like we feel that in our bodies when we start to hope for something, right? Maybe you're hoping and, and you're anticipating someone's going to come who's really special to visit you for Christmas, and you have that longing and that connection, and you're, you feel that kind of tension it creates, that waiting for, oh, I can't, can't wait for that, to be with that person. This cord of connection from us to what is, is going to happen. And so Old Testament hope is this idea of waiting for this, for the arrival, for the one to come. The, a few different verses in the Old Testament that use these language, for example, is from Psalms 39. And now, O oh Lord, what else can I kava? What else can I be connected to and, and wait for? And, he, and the psalmist says, you are my expectation. You are my hope is how we translate it in English. But that word hope is actually not kava or Yahua. <laughs> um, but it's that idea of expectation. You are the one. They place their hope in a person. So Old Testament hope is hope that is in a person, not a circumstance. Another example from a Psalm 130. I will kavah for the Lord. And in his word, I yahil. Let Israel yahil for the Lord. Because he's loyal and he will redeem Israel from their sins. We know that Advent hope in a person also brings all of who that person is. And he brings redemption of sin. Another example from Isaiah. Isaiah uses this word in hope as well. The Lord is hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah. I will connect to hope for him. Christian hope is anchored in a person, not a circumstance. And that's why this Advent season is such a beautiful time to remember that. That we get to have a person of Jesus at the end of our waiting. Christian hope is...
So as you think about Christian hope this season, remember that it is in a person. It is in the person of Jesus Christ. Now I would love for us to dive into this invitation to hope. And today I thought it would be really helpful to go through this Old Testament prophecy in sort of a back and forth way. And I provided some little sheets for you on the table. So everyone will need to collect one of these from the tables. If you're not seated at a table, you'll want to reach out for one closest to you. Because often we hear sermons and they're inspirational and they're exciting. But today I really want this to become personal for you. This is an Old Testament prophecy and it seems maybe far removed from your, from your circumstances. And when we, when we wait in Advent to celebrate the birth of Christ, that seems kind of past tense. And I really want us to make this present tense. That we are living with the same God that the Old Testament Jews were waiting for in the Messiah. And we are, it's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And so my hope in this is actually to invite you to engage with a narrative of this Old Testament, very famous prophetic word from Isaiah 7. So we're going to begin in Isaiah 7, verse 1. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram, and Pelkah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up against Jerusalem, and they could not overpower it. Here we meet King Ahaz. King Ahaz is, has, you know, a father, of course, and, and his father. And you might actually recognize Uzziah from another famous passage when he died, that year that Uzziah died. This is in the chapter prior to, to Isaiah 7, this Isaiah 6. In that year that Uzziah died was when the prophet Isaiah rose to the, to the surface. Isaiah got this big vision of God at, in his throne and all the angels around him saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And, and Isaiah had his lips slammed by God himself through this vision. And he said, yes, he's speaking on behalf of God and being the word of God to the people of Israel during that time. Because during that time, Israel was a broken nation. We had, the, we had Judah being led by, a, by one king, and we had Israel being led by another. And there's all these other kings in the realm that had different territories during that time. And you can see that in this context here. So when Uzziah dies, King Jotham comes to power. And Jotham, it says in 13, 15, and 16, that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And there were some things that, that Jotham, Ahaz's father, did by build, rebuilding the gates and, and bringing restoration to certain parts. But what Jotham failed to do was to break down the high holy places that were offering sacrifices to demonic and evil and opposing Yahweh gods. And here we have Ahaz, who after 
his father dies, he's in this circumstance where he's in a divided kingdom. There's so much division among them. His father has not been totally obedient to the Lord God. And so now we have division also of worshiping. We have people worshiping Yahweh, and we also have people worshiping a whole lot of other things. We see that there is massive confusion in in who do we worship and how do we worship. Arguments happening. And then, not only that, there is political and, and governmental opposition. These kings are coming against. King Rezin and King Telka are coming in to to wage war against Jerusalem. Division, confusion, opposition. Do we not feel the same thing in our world today? How many divisions are there? I mean, you can say around the world, but also in America, also within the church. How much confusion has flooded the hearts of humanity. Who do we worship? What do we worship? What do we long for? What are we living for? Who am I? And opposition. There is opposition coming at us. And I don't know what you're feeling in your circumstances today, but I'd love for you to just make this personal. And answer that question. What actually do you feel is coming against you and against your Christian hope this season? Because we are all in a battle. And the battle's not against flesh and blood. The battle is against rulers and authorities and principalities. There isn't, you have an enemy. And he wants to disturb your Christian peace this season. So what is it personally that you're feeling opposition from? Maybe the the enemy is is captivating in a person, and that person is really coming against you. Maybe it's words that are coming against you. Maybe it's circumstances at work or in your own longing to find purpose and not find it. in a time where he felt division, confusion, opposition. And he felt like the world was coming against him. And in that state, when you feel like the world is coming against you, it is easy to be human, isn't it? (laughs) It is easy to be reactive. And of course, we see that happening in Ahaz. Now, the house of David was told, Abram has allied against Ephraim. People are coming against you. These nations are coming against you. And the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken. Shaken as the trees in the forest are shaken by the wind. Shaken. Friends, maybe you're feeling a little reactive to that. Maybe you're personally feeling shaken. So in what ways has your hope been shaken this year? In those times when our hope is shaken, it's when we most need to hear from the Lord. And 
So Ahaz reaches out to Isaiah, the local prophet, who is speaking on behalf of the Lord. And and the Lord starts to speak to Isaiah concerning Ahaz's situation. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, he says, go and meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct, at the upper room, on the road to the wanderer's field. I'm quoting that from his scriptures. Move us into this period. We're going to meet together and you're going to say to him, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, don't lose heart. Because these two smoldering stubs of firewood, their fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Remaliah, says, I know. I know they've plotted your ruin. I know they're coming against you. But he says, yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. So Isaiah comes to Ahaz and says, don't worry. Don't be afraid. It's not going to happen. can listen to Isaiah, he can trust that God is sovereign, and that even in the midst of feeling the attack, feeling the opposition, and feeling like they they went after us once, why aren't they going to do it again? And even if they do come after us, do we have what it takes? Do we have what it takes to conquer them? So Ahaz has a choice. Is he going to listen sovereign Lord? Is he going to believe that Isaiah the prophet is speaking on my behalf? Is he going to listen to what the Lord says? And we have that same choice. Maybe there's something that the Lord has already spoken into your current circumstance. Maybe something like scripture that he's led you to or something from your personal relationship with him that that the Lord has already spoken. And, And it's your choice to lean into that or to distrust it. So what is it that the Lord has spoken over your circumstance? What does the sovereign Lord say to you? See, sometimes with what the Lord says, he allows us to engage this process as humans. And sometimes there is a conditionality to the words of the Lord. We have choice. He gives us free will to engage and to listen, to trust him, to act on what he says. And so with this promise comes a condition. He says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand appears 
like this choice that Ahaz matters a whole lot. That if we stand in his faith, then the sovereign Lord can fulfill that promise. But if he does not stand in his faith, we will not stand at all. There will be consequences for not placing our trust in the sovereign Lord and in the word of the Lord. So I wonder for you, this is on the back side, what condition, if any, has the Lord declared concerning your circumstances? Is he speaking something similar? If we, if we lean into that emotion, it will come out bad for you. If, but if you stand in your faith, if you stand in the love of God, how much difference could that make in the circumstances that you face? This, friends, is our invitation to hope. We have a choice to hope in the Lord, to believe what he says. Or we have a hope, or we have a choice to distrust and to run away from what he's saying. Now, this part here is, the, I think, the most interesting part of this whole verse. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Now, instead of Ahaz hearing just from a prophet, he's hearing from the Lord God himself. And the Lord God says, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. God comes to Ahaz and says, ask me. Seek me. He's asked for a sign that I'm going to be true to my word. And Ahaz says, I will not ask. He deliberately says he will not ask. And the reason that he won't ask is because of an Old Testament scripture, the Torah. The Torah says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And Ahaz looks back and says, no, I'm not going to trust the Lord. It's really interesting. So we can see that Ahaz, one, he has a relationship with the, the word of God. He has a relationship with the Torah. So he knows. He knows what it says. He studied it. Throughout this passage, it says that He's asked the Lord your God. It says that he is your God. We know that Ahaz has some kind of relationship with God. God is speaking to him. And he is, he's connected to the house of David whenever it refers to the house of David. So this Ahaz is very connected to Yahweh God. Very connected. So connected that he uses God's words to, to disobey God. Do we use God's words to disobey God? I don't know. I'm going to throw that one out there. <laughs> but Ahaz, in this moment, he's looking backwards instead of actually engaging the Lord in the present circumstance. And I, I'm afraid that some people that are in the church do the same thing. That we look back to what God says in his word, but we fail to actually engage in a relation, a personal relationship with God, an active speaking and conversive relationship with God. And friends, our faith is not past tense. Our faith is present and it is 
secrets. We have to engage God in this season in order for our hope to stand, for our hope to keep us alive. And hope is essential for our living. If we don't have something that we are connected to in the future, what do we have to live for? People that are in the most dire of situations, if they give up hope, they are doomed. We need this kind of hope. And the hope is, it is so important that our hope is now and our hope is active in a relationship with him. And so we have to trust the fresh word of God to sustain our hope today. But in all of us, we're human, and there is resistance along the way. I don't know what Ahaz's resistance is here, but I can hear in the tone of his, of his response, I think Ahaz is afraid. I think that Ahaz doesn't know what's going to come in the future, and so he's trying to look to something in the past to just anchor himself. I think he's afraid that God's not going to come through on his word. What if I place my trust and my hope in you? Are you really going to save me from these other kings? I don't know how it's going to play out. Maybe he's, there's unbelief that God really won't do what he says he's going to do. Or mistrust. I don't know if I can trust you. But to me, it seems like there's a whole lot of resistance in his relationship with God. So what is it that... What kind of resistance is in you from trusting God in this present season? I know you all have your own circumstances, but even in this season, I would think about what what resistance do you have in trusting the Lord as a congregation, in asking him for a fresh word and discernment for the next steps to take? The reason we can trust in the Lord and the and why Advent celebration is so beautiful for us is that when we look backward and we see God be faithful over and over and over again, we can then look forward with even more confidence. God never ceases to give us a reason to trust him. He's always giving us reason to hope because of who he is and, and what we know that he does. But we are against the enemy. And so any resistance that we feel are whispers of the enemy saying, why aren't you listening? I mean, did God really say that? Those are whispers of the enemy. And we have to be careful and mindful of those things. Not to listen to those undercutting practices, but the confidence in the word God. Isaiah is pretty put off by this, and he comes down with some heavy truth. As we turn the corner into this really famous prophecy, Isaiah says, Hear now, house of Israel, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you also try the patience of my God also? In this pivotal moment, Isaiah is shifting from saying, The Lord is Ahaz's God to the Lord is Isaiah's God. There's this, there's almost this breaking and this tension. God is so patient with us, 
You can see that throughout the whole Old Testament. But in those moments when we resist trusting in him, he just longs for us to trust him. He longs for us to walk with him, to listen to him, to cooperate with him so that he can do what only he can do. And as he, as the Lord goes into this next prophecy, to me this is stunning. That the God of the universe says, you know what, Ahab, I know that you're afraid. I know that there are divisions among you. You feel that opposition. You are worried about the future. You think that your whole city is going to collapse and it's going to come down on your reputation. And you are afraid. It's Ahab. So you know what? Even though you're not cooperating with me, I'm going to give you a chance to make it right. Because I love you. Because I love this city that you built. And he says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The Lord wants to come with you. The sign is that the virgin will conceive, will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. According to how prophecy works, when when prophecy comes, it can actually be fulfilled in many ways. In this particular circumstance, this has been said that there was a young woman who had not been married yet, and she would become pregnant with child, and that child would bring about, would, would have some princely or, or royal role in the, next, in the coming years. And that role and the way that she acted upon that role would, in, in a sense, be God, God with them. And, it's, and that came true. In just a few years after Ahab, there was a young girl that got pregnant, that had a baby, and, and that prince brought God to Emmanuel. And so we could see that just as a prophecy for that day. But we know, now looking back, that God wants, wanted to be with us always. That's actually the whole story of this, this history. God longs to be with us. He longs to come to us. He longs to say, I'm here. I can help you. I am in this with you. And obviously we know that God comes in Jesus, second person of the Trinity, comes in flesh. He dwells among us. He makes his place among us. He lives a perfect life. He lets sin and depravity and darkness and evil overtake him so that he can prove through the resurrection that it doesn't have the victory. That is God's desire to be with us, to be, to even go through the most evil and hard suffering with us. That's the kind of God that wants to be with us. He's not a God who remains far off or, or in the past tense. He's a God that dwells with us in the now. And he is coming again. In this time of the in-between, in Advent, when we look forward to God's arrival, Jesus' arrival once again, we also know that Emmanuel, God with us, has come through his spirit in us. We don't get Jesus we don't get second person of the Trinity. We get third person of the Trinity in the meantime. 
And that's a beautiful gift from God. And so right now and in today and in tomorrow and in all the days leading up to your holiday adventures, you have God's Spirit offered to you. You have Emmanuel with you. That is your Advent gift. Because Christian hope is in knowing that God never ceases to offer you hope by sending us himself. What step can you take in your walk in this Advent season to walk with Emmanuel? As we start to land the plane, I would love to give just some practical ways to connect with Emmanuel during this season. The first is I think it would be really amazing for each of you to journal some of your hopes and also journal some of the places where you need to hope again. We're all human and and our hope can be fickle. I get that. But what if you let Emmanuel come and meet you in your hope in the places that you're struggling to hope again. We know that Christian hope is in a person, not just in a circumstance. But often we hope for those circumstances. And that's not wrong to hope for those circumstances. You can leave those, you can bring those before the Lord. Isaiah was hoping to be saved. And, oh, sorry. Ahaz was hoping to be saved from the people around him. And instead of going and trusting the sovereign Lord and his and his word, he goes off and pays another king with the kings from the Canaanites. His name actually means to take, and Ahaz takes the silver and the gold, and he pays tribute to the king of, of Assyria to come and help him. place our trust in Emmanuel and what God says, or we can run after the things and the solutions that we can find on our own. And so by taking those hopes and place, and even the places that we long to hope still in the hands of God, then he can, he can meet us in there. So schedule time to meet with, with Emmanuel and to let him speak into your hope.
financial, how do you think through finances during this season? Or just how, like, think through how they survive it. And I just think um, I really wish that you could go there on another round. If that would be of help to you, I just want to offer that as another Advent resource to engage the Lord, engage your relationship with Him, because this is a beautiful time of year. Friends, Emmanuel came once, and He returns again. Our Christian hope is not in a circumstance. It's not Christmas optimism. Our Christian hope is in a person, and His name is Jesus.